Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Verse 17 and 18. Uh, there's one more verse that we're going to hit next week, but today we're going to look at verses 17 and 18. And this is probably a verse that you might recognize uh, if you've ever uh, listened to sermons or listened to Caleb or, uh, you know, had any affiliation with Christianity at all. You probably heard this verse. Um, the rest of the book is quite unknown, but this is very well known. Uh, Habakkuk 3, verse 17 through 18 says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Notice there's three those. Uh, yet, he says in verse 18, there's one yet. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. <clears throat> yeah, I will be joyful in God my Savior. Yeah, it's an it's a awesome verse. This is... Uh, this is the conclusion. This is part of the conclusion. Next week will be the final conclusion where he says, The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer feet. He will make me to walk on my high hills. But these three verses... Are, are we... Uh, what? My high he hills. In Texas, hills... Yeah, okay. Well... Anyway, uh, I don't know that Habakkuk was walking in high heels. I think he was walking on his high heels, like deer feet. Deer feet would be really hard to fit into heels, I'm just saying. Um, so, anyway, we've got hecklers in here. Normally, so anyway, I'll, I'll go to this side. You guys seem to be composed. You seem to like, you know, like you know what's up. So, that, that final verse is really the conclusion, the capstone of the book of Habakkuk, and it's really super important for the book of Habakkuk because the book of Habakkuk is what is known as a lament. So typically in scripture, there, there's a classification of books in the Bible that are just laments. And one, I find that interesting that God created a whole section for complaining. God has a whole department to, to talk about and to air the complaints of humans. And so one thing that's true about laments is they always start off fairly untrue. Uh, like, like even Habakkuk. Habakkuk, the first opening verses, and I talked about this way back in May when we started, but the opening verses are simply not true. So all of the Bible is not necessarily true word for word. You can't just grab a piece of scripture and say, all right, this is absolutely true. No, sometimes God, even in his holy scriptures, allows for man what feels to be true. It feels like it's true to Habakkuk. And Habakkuk says in chapter uh, 1, in the opening verses, he says, God, you're not hearing me and you're not seeing me. And we all know that's impossible. God is not blind and God is not deaf. So we know that's not true. Other scriptures would argue against that. But the, the, the fact is, it's a lament. So God allows people to complain and allows them to say what they're really feeling. So that ought to give you some, 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 some freedom a little bit. That when you come to God, you don't have to say the right words. The right words, actually, are the words that are within your heart. And so Habakkuk comes to God, and he says, look, I don't think you're watching what's going on. I don't think you're doing anything. I don't think you hear me. He says, how long will I cry to you, violence, and you not hear? Well, God responds to him. 
And he responds to him in chapter one. He responds to him in chapter two. And finally, by the time we get to chapter three, we come to a place of conclusion. We come to a place of resolution. And in every lament, uh, every book that is a lament, you're going to find a place of resolution. So like in the book of Lamentations, lament, uh, lamentations, uh, the, the prophet is constantly crying out that God doesn't see, that he's not doing anything, that he's not doing his job. And then he comes to that place, I think it's in chapter 3, where he says, he says uh, uh, it, had it not been for your, your, your compassions, we would have been consumed. But your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's, that's the resolution. That's the point of the whole book. That's, that, that's, what, that's what the prophet has learned. So just like you and I, uh, we don't always start off knowing everything. Uh, we have to grow. We have to go through a process. And so we've been calling that process through Habakkuk the process of wild faith. That uh, if you're in church, I imagine you have some kind of faith. Uh, but the truth is you might have a very domesticated faith. You might have a very American faith. You might have more of a city slicker sort of faith. And um, if you're going to walk on high hills, um, you're going to need some wild faith. You're going to need some faith that knows how to find food on its own, knows how to find shelter on its own, doesn't need Starbucks down the road. You know what I'm saying? Like the kind of faith that's able to dig out and produce its own sustenance and survive just on faith, not on sight. So uh, we've had the luxury in America to have a whole lot of sight, a whole lot of evidence a whole lot of people around us who are really mimicking the same thing. And, and especially in Texas, it's not uncool to go to church because a lot of people think, oh, it's probably good that you go to church. And, that, and that, that's, that's a lovely culture to be a part of. But the downside of that culture is that you might have a super weak faith and not even know it until a pandemic hits, until a divorce happens, until, until, you're, until you get teenagers. Because that's what happens. They go from being toddlers to teenagers. I don't know if you know this or not. It's, storm's coming, you know what I'm saying? Storm's coming. Uh, yeah, it's going to happen. And so life happens to us, and our faith isn't strong enough to deal with the circumstances that we're facing. And we think it's because of the circumstances. It's not. It's because our faith was just super weak. It's just our, 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 our faith was weak. And we thought our faith was strong because we had been playing the Detroit Lions every week. But then we came across a team that really knew what they were doing, and we realized, wait a minute, our team isn't so strong anymore. You know what I'm saying? So I was trying to talk to the football people in the room. You, you, you really don't know. You really don't know what's inside of you until it's tested. And I believe God is testing, and, and situations are testing so many people right now. And the good news is that God has this, this process for you and I to go through. Habakkuk starts off saying, God, where are you? I don't think you're seeing or listening. And then he comes to this point right here where he says, lovely. Nothing. He says, he says wild faith is what he says. In case you forgot what the sermon series was titled. Um, anyway, he says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines. He has three those for us. Three areas of loss, three areas of destruction, three areas where he is suffering. And he says, though the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vines. That's two things in one though. And then he says, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Once again, two things in one though. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Once again, the third though. What is he doing? He's, he's laying out the things that he was afraid were going to happen in chapter 1. The things that he saw coming down the road, 
the stuff he saw coming down the pipe. In chapter 1, he was crying out, God, look, man, the fields are drying up, the cattle are dying, the, the crops are dying, and he's crying out to God because God's not doing anything. And now he's come to the place where even though the situation doesn't change, he now has a yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And so he's, he's, he's experiencing loss, but it's, it's, the, it's a certain kind of loss. And I think it's a kind of loss that will relate to many of us. It's the kind of loss that has to do with, um, like, loss in spite of expectation. I don't know if that makes sense. Because if you look at all of these those, though the fig tree does not bud, he doesn't say that the fig tree is cut down and uprooted, which is, by the way, or was a practice of the Babylonians to go through the fields that they, that they conquered and, and burn them so that you burn the roots out. So that's another interesting historical context, but he's not even referencing that. He's saying, look, I imagine, I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the fig tree. It's there, and it's growing, it's alive, it's healthy, but there's no fruit on it. And then he says there are no grapes on the vines. In other words, the vines are still there, but there's no grapes there. And then he says the, the crop fails and the fields produce no food. We have fields, we have a harvest, but all the work we put into it is coming back with zero results. <laughs> Have any of you ever invested a lot into something? All right, we got somebody. Here. Anybody ever invested a lot into something? You got zero results. Anybody invested in the stock market? Maybe <laughs> that. If you invested in Zoom, you're good to go. But uh, uh, if you invested in a lot of other things, I mean, toilet paper, you'd be pretty pretty set. Uh, nine millimeter bullets, you would have been doing pretty good. But, but man, there's a lot of times that we invest money into things. We invest time. In, anybody ever invested into a relationship and didn't get the love out of the relationship that you put into the relationship? <laughs> that's, what, that's called disappointment. So I want to talk to you today about dealing with disappointment. Disappointment is when you do what you think you ought to do, but you don't get what you think you ought to get. And that's what Habakkuk is experiencing. Welcome to 2020. We did what we thought we were supposed to do, and we didn't get what we thought we were supposed to get. Welcome to the election. We did what we thought we were supposed to do, and we did not get what we thought we were supposed to get. It's all of our processes, all of our effort, all of our money, all of our time, all of our energy, all of our focus, all of our ingenuity has gone into certain things, and then it's just, it falls. Like this right here, this, this crop. He says, man, we go to these fields, and there's no food in the fields. And then he says... We go to the sheep pen. If you're going to find sheep anywhere, it's in the pen. He didn't say we go to the fields where we last left them. Maybe they wandered off. No, he goes to his pen where they are locked up. And they should be there, and they're not. He's dealing with disappointment. I think, honestly, I think disappointment drives so many issues in our life. I mean, seriously, I think people make decisions because they're trying to avoid disappointment. I think so many times it's in the driver's seat. I wonder even if maybe it's part of chapter one. The reason why the reason why Habakkuk is crying out and saying, God, where are you? You're not answering me, is because he's facing, he's staring down disappointment. He's staring down that he has been faithful to God. Never mind like the Israel or whatever. Just he he's been faithful to God. He was a faithful priest for years, we know, and then he became a prophet. He's doing what God's told him to do. And it seems like even the people of God in that day had been faithful. Remember, we talked about this back early on. Historically, Habakkuk is coming off of the heels, not the hill, but the heels of a good king. A king that had submitted to God, a king that had turned the country toward God. And then as soon as that king died. 
His son took his place and his son instituted pagan worship and started worshiping other gods. And Habakkuk says, wait a minute, I thought we just spent 30 years of my life trying to get this country back to God. And then in one fell swoop, we go to the fields and there's nothing. We go to the fields of, of religion and there's nothing. We go to the expectations of what we put in and what we thought we would get out. And it looks like we just wasted all of our time. We wasted all of our effort. We wasted all of our energy. And the burn here actually is, it's, it's a little bit different than you and I losing our job. Because if you lose your job, you can, one, file for unemployment, and that's okay right now. And two, you can go look for a new job. But in an agricultural society, if the, if the field fails, it's done. You, you, you turn around, you look at your pantry, whatever you have in your pantry, that's what has to last you through the winter, through the spring, and through the summer. And so you can, it's, sometimes it's an actual death sentence. You can see that, 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 that trouble is not only hitting you, but it is going to hit you in the future. And so Habakkuk is dealing with not only the disappointment like of his past, he's dealing with the idea that this is going to be a slavery song. This is going to be a song that is sung. His children are going to be in bondage. And they are going to be living this. And he is going to be living this. And he's an older man at this point, but he knows that, 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 that the storm is coming in terms of uh, uh, the, the, the Babylonians. They're going to conquer the land. God shared that with him. And I think so many times disappointment is difficult because it's so, it catches us so off guard. I, I, I think it, 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 it's, it, it's tricky. It pops up because you, you've been investing and you had this plan. And you figured that you knew the score. You figured that you knew the outcome. Uh, for instance, Jesus, Jesus in the Gospels, his very first sermon ever, which was actually my first sermon at City Chapel. I preached from the same passage. He goes to he goes to uh, he goes to a, a smaller um, a synagogue, like sort of like a local synagogue, not the main temple. But he goes to his local synagogue. He opens up the book of Isaiah and he reads from that. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed him, is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news. He sent me uh, to the poor to declare freedom to the captives, sight, the recovery of sight to the blind, right? And he goes on this, 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 this wonderful points. Makes for a great sermon. It was a pretty good sermon if you were there in the theater back in the day. Anyway, I enjoyed it. And so Jesus, Jesus like hits this thing out of the park. And what's his reward? Nobody comes down for the altar call. Instead, they want to stone him. They want to kill him. Uh, they want to uh, take him out. Man, if you just preach the best sermon of your life, <laughs> and if you were the best preacher of all time, wouldn't you think somebody would get saved? Wouldn't you think somebody would, like, feel it or get touched or fall out, maybe? I don't, it's Jesus. But no, he preaches it. It's totally quiet. There were no charismatics in the room. And then he goes and sits down, and then they're like, yeah, we don't like you very much. So this is not like a good result. It's interesting. You can pour yourself into somebody or something and get a result that's not at all what you thought it would be. And Jesus is a perfect example of that because he suffers from people that he's trying to help. And by the way, he's still suffering from people that he's trying to help. And then, then right after that, the Gospels tell us that, J that Jesus is walking along the River Jordan and John sees him and he says, look, that's the, that, that's the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus comes to John and says, I want to be baptized by you. And you guys know the story. John doesn't want to baptize him, but finally he does. John baptizes him. He comes up out of the water and there's a voice from heaven. The Father says, this is my beloved Son 
in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hasn't healed anybody yet. He hasn't raised anybody from the dead. He hasn't done anything yet. But his father speaks over him and others hear it. Not everybody, but many in the, the area heard this voice from heaven. And then the, the gospel tells us that, that this dove, it was actually the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. Doves are gentle, quiet little birds. Came flying down and landed on Jesus. And for many of us, that's the end of the story. Because it's a beautiful story, right? It's awesome. Like you get baptized and then, man, the Holy Spirit like lands on you. The Father affirms you. Woo, let's have an altar call. Let's all go to lunch because that's a great ending. And if you keep hearing stories like that over and over again, but you never actually read the rest of the story, you might think that the Christian life is like that. Oh, I do what is right and I get baptized and ta-da! The angels sing and God loves me and it's woo, woo. And, and it's just, it's, it's like, you know, Raindrop, raindrops are now gumdrops, and it's just falling on my path, and it's just beautiful. Unicorns, I, I, I have unicorn sightings all the time now. It's just crazy, you know, rainbows are just, and, and, but that's not what happened. Jesus comes up out of the water. The Father affirms him. It's this amazing moment, and then the writer of the gospel quickly shifts gears, and he says the Holy Spirit then drove him into the wilderness. What? That's right, the, the little dove, the cute little, the, the cute little dove, that, like that guy, the Holy Spirit, drove. And that word drove, in, in the original language, is ekbalo. It means to throw out. It's the same word used when Jesus threw out the money changers. Like, grab them by their collar, cast them out. You don't ask permission. You're not like, let me lead you. Let me show you where to go. No, it's like, get out of here. And that's the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has this beautiful affirming moment. He comes up out of the water. Oh, and the dove that's on his shoulder I don't know, started pecking him. I was like, there's no details except that it drove him, which means it didn't give him any options. No, you're going this way, dude. Oh, no, I'd really like that. No, no, no. But my disciples are over. No, 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 no. Yeah, but my mom, no, no, no. And it, like, it drove him. He didn't even get to get out of the baptistry the way he went in. You know what I'm saying? Like he had to, he's falling over the edge because this bird is pecking at his head, you know? I don't know if you ever saw Alfred Hitchcock and the birds, but they can be pretty vicious, darn it. And so this, this dove becomes some kind of driver and throws him. I don't know if it picked him up and flew him into the wilderness. Like, you use your imagination. That's good for kids' ministry. But the Bible doesn't say. It just says he, they threw him out into the wilderness where he left him with step-by-step -step instructions. <laughs> This is what's going to happen next, Jesus. So you're going to be tempted. It'll be really cool. And uh, then we'll come back in 40 days. No, it just throws them out. No food, no water. And so Jesus says, oh, I guess this is a fast. And he fasts for 40 days. And during those 40 days, you know, Satan is even allowed. Satan's even invited to the, to the, to the party. It's just Jesus. And like, oh, your loving Heavenly Father just chucked you out into the wilderness you bear, you weren't, you weren't, your underwear wouldn't even dry yet from, the, from being baptized, and now you're roasting in the sun. Your toga is like all hard and stuff, you know what I'm saying? Because you went from being drenched, being wet in affirmation and glory to being dried out, left in the middle of the desert with no shelter, no food, and the devil shows up. And this is, this is, this is, you, 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 you're going to see disappointment throughout Scripture. You're going to see, man, I saw that going differently in my mind <laughs> throughout Scripture. 
the old, this old hitch quote, but anyway. Uh, you know, you're going to see it throughout Scripture because th- time and time again, God brings his people not only to a point of disappointment, but through a point of disappointment. If you're dealing with disappointment today, you are in good company. Jesus dealt with it. Habakkuk dealt with it. John dealt with it. Peter dealt with it. Almost everybody that's ever followed God has been disappointed by him. By him, not by circumstances, not by their friends, not by their family, but by him. That he didn't live up to their expectations. He didn't do what they thought he was going to do. He didn't operate according to the plan that was in their mind. And this is is easy to turn around and look in the past and be like, yeah, okay, well, they went through that, but me, I'll be ready. I'll just take whatever you want to do, Lord. I'm just ready. Well, yeah, until you get to 2020. And things get a little bit sketchy. And that's all I'm saying, is that disappointment is difficult because it sneaks up on you. You don't see it coming. Disappointment is also deceiving. Disappointment is also deceiving. That's my second point. So we got disappointment is difficult to see the D's going on. Yeah, let's go. So that's my pastor, Pastor James Wright, always taught me to do that. But disappointment is deceiving because it, it lies to you. Because I'm convinced that many of us are oftentimes working for results. And that's just the human way. And I've had some conversations with people even a couple of weeks ago about that. And that's just humanity. That's what we all do. We all work for results. We, we have a dream. I'd love to do a sermon series on dreams and disappointments. Those are two massive drivers. And they're two things that are not real. Dreams in your heart and your mind, they don't exist anywhere except in your heart and your mind. Disappointments in your heart and your mind, they don't exist anywhere except in your heart and your mind. Because they both have to do with expectation. They both have to do with what you think is going to happen if I do this and if this happens and if that happens like that. Right? And, and, and sometimes expectation is off. Sometimes uh, you're Tom Brady and you think it's third down. It's really fourth down. Anybody watch that game Thursday night? He's like, what? Fourth down? Anyway, okay, no? All right. Well, anyway, uh, you, you, you don't calculate things right. You think you see it going one way in your mind, it doesn't go that way, and so that's where disappointment comes from. But dreams, we're also building toward dreams. And I think many times we're stuck in the middle between the dreams that are pulling us and the the disappointments that are pulling us. And we can't let go of the disappointment of our past, and we, we can't let go of the dreams in our heart, but we don't know a way to move forward because we just simply see the outcome. And when when we just see the outcome. When all you see, if you're Jesus and all you see is Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news, to declare liberty to the captives, to open the eyes of the... You're not doing any of that in the wilderness. There's no good news to the devil. <laughs> what are you going to tell him? But you're going to be in hell for a long time. I mean, what, like, what's the good news? Where, he's not blind. You're not going to open his eyes. None of it. God will often drop you off in a place where the, the, the vision or the dream that you had at the top of the mountain, he will then ask you to start walking up the bottom of the mountain. But so many times we don't see the mountain. We just see the dream. We just see the thing, the goal. And that goal is deceiving. Because, because when it doesn't happen, when God doesn't come through, and, and this, this is what's interesting, sometimes we'll use God as a means of like trying to prevent disappointment. Like, like we'll, we'll see things going a certain way and like, oh man, I really feel like I'm going to be disappointed, but I'm going to hold on to God and maybe God can protect my fields. Maybe God can protect my flock. Maybe God can protect 
my fruit. The three Fs. Come on, somebody. That's, 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 that's not, it's not bad. So the, maybe God can protect my fruit. Maybe God can protect my flock. Maybe God can protect my field. And, or maybe God can help me get a field. Maybe God can help me get a flock. Maybe God can help me get some fruit. We see God as a, as, as a helper. It's, it's almost like, you know, because he says here, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. We often don't rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice with the Lord. He's alongside us, helping it, helping it make it possible for us to be able to rejoice. Because he's not enough. I need the field, I need the fruit, and I need the flocks, and he's pretty good at getting those things. And so our faith is pedestrian faith. It's not wild faith. It's city slicker faith. It's not wild faith because, honestly, our faith is still based in the things. It's not based in God. I mean, we have faith in God that God will get us the things that we need. But as soon as he doesn't get us the things that we need, we feel like God has failed us. God has let us down. God has... God wasn't there. God doesn't see. God's not all-powerful or he's not all-good. One of those things isn't true because he hasn't got me the things that I need. And yet Habakkuk says, even though these, I experience great loss and great disappointment in these other areas of my life, I will rejoice in the Lord. And that's really important to rejoice in the Lord. Now, that word rejoice, it, it, it literally means to jump up. In joy to jump up, so all the extra, all the introverts are like, "Oh man, no, like not gonna make it jump up." But it, 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 but 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 that's what it means. And then it says, "I will be joyful." And the word "joyful" means to twirl about, to be so excited that you just you just are so excited. You're twirling. So I don't know if any of you twirl when you get excited, but apparently Habakkuk, you know, he was pretty demonstrative kind of guy. Uh, he's a feeler. And he's feeling it. And he says, I will rejoice. I will jump up and I, and I, will, I, will, I will joy in the Lord or I'll twirl. But the word rejoice, it's, it's more than just happy. Because I think many times when we deal with disappointment in life, the only really thing that we have is like, well, I have to believe that God is still good. And I have to put a smile on my face through it. All right, smile through the trial. Come on, somebody. Smile through the trial. That's the, the Christian version of fake it till you make it. It's like, well, I don't feel happy, but I know I'm supposed to rejoice in trials. I know I'm supposed to rejoice in the Lord. So I'm just going to you know, say that God's good, and I'm going to smile. I'm going to put on a good attitude, and I'm just going to go through this. And you know, there's something good to be said about positivity and a, an optimistic spirit. That'll help. That'll go a long ways just in life in general. But that's not what Habakkuk is saying that he will do. The word here is to rejoice, like um, uh, to celebrate a victory. It's, it's the same word that he used about his enemies a few verses earlier where he said, he said, said our enemies are gloating over us as, the, as, as ones who are in hiding. So it's, it's the idea not just of, oh, I'm happy, but it's an idea of I am celebrating victory. I am celebrating triumph. I'm gloating even. Right? I'm, I'm na 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 na. Hey, 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 goodbye. Like, I'm spiking the ball. I, I keep going to football. Sorry, it's football season. But, like, I'm spiking the ball at the end of a touchdown run, and I am fired up. I'm doing my little touchdown dance. Like, that's what it means. I'm jumping up from my seat, and my hands are up in victory. I'm spiking the ball. But what's weird is nobody spikes the ball when they lose. 
Brady spiked his iPad Thursday night, but uh, but nobody spikes the ball when they lose because you don't you don't you don't fall. It's not fourth and one, and you get tackled in the backfield, and you're like, "Whoa, yeah, what's up? Take that!" Like that's not how that works. If you if you get stopped on an important play, if you don't make it in the end zone, if you lose, you're not celebrating. Like, this is not something to celebrate. And here, Habakkuk is losing. He's losing his fruit. He's losing his fields. He's losing his flock. All losses. And Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice over this great victory in the Lord. What victory are you talking about? You, are, you, are, you have lost. You have, you, it, it, what's, what's interesting is like it, it's, 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 it's a shift for him because he was very aware in chapter 1 of his losses. And now it seems as if he's blind to them. And so that's where I think people can get the idea, oh, I just need power, po- power of positive thinking. I just need to confess that uh, I am rich even when I'm poor. I need to confess that I am healed even when I'm sick. I need, just need to say that everything is going to work out even when I don't know how it's going to work out. No, that's confusion. That's silliness. That's weirdness. That's, that's the power of positive thinking, which is fine and all, but, but this is not faith. Faith is not positive thinking. Otherwise, God would not have revealed to him all of chapter 2, all the horrible things that are going to happen. If God thought that the knowledge of horrible things was going to decrease his, quote, faith, he would never do that. So God is instead building his faith. So faith is more than positive thinking. Faith is more than just believing things are going to work out. Actually, for, for Habakkuk, faith... See, because what, what happens, that kind of faith, it keeps the goalposts right where they're at. Habakkuk came into this, this story in Habakkuk chapter 1 with, with a particular set of goalposts. And that goalpost was around his fields, his flock, and his fruit. His, his physical circumstance. And, and he was not winning. And he was losing. And he was not getting into the end zone. He was not able to conquer this thing. He wasn't working out. And, and, and then, in chapter 2, he goes to the tower. I don't know if you remember that. I spend a little time talking about the tower. Because the tower is the thing, it's the place of prayer, it's the place of seeking God. That's what uh, Habakkuk says, I'll go to the tower, I will wait for him, I will look for him, for God, for what he will say to me. And so he, he, he starts off complaining because he's consumed with these goalposts that he's just not hitting. And then he goes to the tower. The tower is a little bit higher elevation. The tower is a place of prayer. You have to go a little bit higher than all your friends on Facebook. You know what I'm saying? Like you might just have to go a little bit higher than November 3rd. You might have to go just a little bit higher than, what, than, than what's happening right here and right now. And when you do that, he spends time alone with God, and he emerges from the tower with this song right here, where he says, even though all the stuff that I was trying to get, I don't get, yet I will rejoice because I have won. And so what I think is happening here is that his goalposts are moving. Initially, he had the same goalposts that, that, that everybody else around him had. The Babylonians had these same goalposts. Our gods will get us a full flock. Our gods will get us full fields. Our God will get us a lot of fruit. And, and Habakkuk had the exact same goalpost. My God will give me a lot of fruit. My God will give me full fields. My God. And there was this clash of gods. They were both going for the same thing. And now Habakkuk realizes that the goalposts, that God's goalposts are not in the flock, the field, or the fruit. He spent enough time in the tower 
to see things, not just to see God, but to see things from God's perspective, to see his life from God's perspective. And all of a sudden, the goalposts are now moved. It's now shifted, and I'm, and I'm concerned with, uh, you know, certain prosperity preachers, not because they're preaching about prosperity, but because they're preaching about prosperity with these earthly goalposts, the exact same goalposts that uh, people, you know, with business degrees have, the exact same goalposts that uh, Bezos and uh, Amazon and, and, and uh, businessmen, the same definition of success, only their version is God will help me get to that same definition. You work and, and slave away, but me, I tithe. And then, boom, God just takes care of everything. <laughs> he gives me all kinds of money. It's great. Hundredfold, you know. Look at my, look at my private jet. And it's, and, and it's like, well, okay, but that's the wrong, that's, that's, that's your goalpost, and, that's, and that's, that's Bezos' goalpost, and that's our culture's goalpost, but, but that's not God's goalpost. When you spend time in the tower, you begin to understand God's definition of success is very different from ours. We think of success as a particular result, an abundance in some particular area, whether it's love, relationships, money, fields, flock, fruit, whatever it may be. We think of that as a definition of success, a large, a lot of people in a church. You know, you can take it right on into religion if you want. But we think of this abundance as a definition of success, and yet, and yet Jesus gives us a completely different definition. Jesus says, look, this is the definition of success, that when you come before your heavenly Father, when your life is over, and he says to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not CEO, not entrepreneur, not, uh, uh, you know, collector or gatherer or, or producer or creator, my good and faithful servant. Well, what's so great about a servant? A servant just does what he's told. Exactly. And the def definition of success for a servant is, did you listen to your master and did you do what he said? Period. Not did it work out, not was it successful, not did people like you, not did, not, was, was, was there a lot of fruit involved, was it big fields, right? Did you see, did you see the talents multiplied over and over and over again? Did you have a huge church, did you have a little church, did you, I mean, did you drive a nice car or semi-nice car? Like, none of those questions are in this, in this calculation. The only calculation, the goalposts of a Christian is obedience. That's the goalpost. It's not results. And so often we get so scared of, well, if I do, if I say that, they'll think that. If I do that, they'll do that. Well, you're, that's result-driven. God's not asking you to think about that. Let me, just, let me just take a burden off your shoulders, the burden of sovereignty. Let's just, let's just let that roll right on off your shoulders. You aren't responsible for the results. It's not on you. You could be completely resultless, and God wouldn't think any less of you. You could do nothing. You could be a vegetable in a hospital bed. I, when I was 14, I, I ministered to this guy uh, who was in a nursing home, and he had a closed head injury. He was 40 years old, which at the time I thought was old. But he's a very young, very young man. And he had a closed head injury from a car accident, and literally he had no control over his, his body, like his limbs. His, even, even, even he would start like foaming at the mouth at times because he was just trying to, trying to breathe. He couldn't blink on command. He couldn't, like he didn't have control, but he was fully awake in his mind. And he's stuck on this bed. 
every day. And they come and roll him occasionally, roll him over so he doesn't get bed sores. But he's feeling everything. He's aware of everything. And he's completely awake and alive in his mind. But he, had, he couldn't say anything. He couldn't do anything. couldn't communicate to anybody. And, I, and, and for me, I was so caught up in what I could do and what I could be and blah, 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 all my dreams and blah, 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 that it was such a shock to me to realize that God loves him with the exact same intensity that God loves me. That God is, can be as pleased in him with the exact same pleasure as he has in me. That literally, I could, I could have a close head injury. I could be on a bed, have no friends or family or relatives visit me at all. But they, couldn't, they didn't know who his friends and family were. And, he, and just day after day after day, and you can have communion with God. And this is the beauty of moving the goalposts because in, in, in our culture, there's certain things you got to have to be successful. And so God takes down those goalposts and he moves them for Habakkuk. And Habakkuk says, now I will be triumphant. How? Because I'm going to be obedient. So my obedience is my victory. My, my momentary obedience, my surrender is my victory. Not the results, not uh, Babylon falling or, or my kids turning out right, but my obedience is my victory. So as I like to do here, just, just to close, um, I want to see how God might want to move the goalpost in, in your life and particularly in your mind. And so you might be a Christian today watching. You, you might not consider yourself a Christian. You can still participate in this exercise. Um, what I would like for us to do is just actually ask God. Because the, 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 by goalposts, I mean, what is success? And so if success is defined by the things I have or the places I'm going or whatever, then, well, okay, we can't, we can't solve that today. But if success is defined by well done, my good and faithful servant, then we can actually get steps toward that today. All you have to do is hear from your heavenly father. Hear what he thinks about you hear what he's saying about you so in our small group uh, last semester I brought up this question because it's a weird one and um, weird questions are good so um, because they get your brain out of normal Christian ease stuff so I'm gonna ask you to ask God a weird question just just roll with me and then just see what he says so if we could just close our eyes for a minute I'm gonna participate in this too because ultimately what we, do, we need to do is we need to hear from God. And so the way you hear from God is you just talk to him. <laughs> and you ask him a question. You don't have to have special words. You ask him a question. And he'll bring something to your mind. He'll bring something to your heart. Bring a feeling or a memory or a thought or a picture sometimes. And so I would just like for us to do that right now, just to quiet ourselves for a minute. Uh, if you're watching at home, just... Put down everything else. Sit there on the couch. Just close your eyes for a second. I want you to ask God this, this kind of weird question, but just see if he says anything, all right? Uh, I heard this one time at, at one of our Kairos events. One of the speakers was talking about this, and, and he had everybody ask God this question. It was right at the beginning, and it sort of stuck out to me. And I'm going to ask God, too, and I'm just going to listen to see what he says about me. But um, this is what I would ask God. I would say, God, uh, if... If I were a utensil in your kitchen, what would I be? If I were a utensil in 
God's kitchen, what would I be? And why? Okay, that's it. So there you go. There's, there's your exercise. How many of you, like, saw something or felt something or had, like, a, a notion of, of something? Cool. Just folks in, in the room. If you're online, just put your emoji hand up. Let me know you're, you're hearing something. For me, when I, when I asked that, I saw, uh, like, a wooden spoon. And I, I don't <laughs> If you have toddlers, maybe that, that means something a little different. But, um... Every time I ask, I get something different, and uh, yeah, I saw a wooden spoon, and it was, wooden spoons are pretty solid, um, pretty firm, but they also, like, when you get, I guess, like, when you get eggs in a bowl, some flour in a bowl, some sugar, that's you, babe, in a bowl, uh, <laughs> some salty. No, never mind. Some salt in the bowl. I don't know. You, you get a bunch of ingredients in a bowl, and then you add a spoon. Things start to kind of come together, kind of stir, stir things up. So kind of breaks things up and, and brings things together. I don't know. So maybe that's one of the things that God sees me as doing. So I would encourage you, if you're watching online, I would encourage you, if you saw something or heard, thought something, or just write that down and ask God about it. Why? Why am I a spatula? Or why am I what? And I guarantee you, God is not judging you. I guarantee you that God sees you as useful, as necessary, as desired. I have a quick chart just to kind of help explain what I've been trying to share here for a few minutes uh, about the field and the fruit and uh the flock. So if we could put it up here, um, I'll try to work through it quickly. I was developing this um, this week, just as I'm as I'm looking at our our sort of fruit field flock issues. Um, there's the thing, and then there's what the thing says, and then there's what I believe. So fruit is, especially in ancient times, fruit is a dessert. In other words, it's an extra thing. It's a nice thing. It's not necessary. You don't have to have grapes and figs, which he talks about, but they're nice. It's like a $7 coffee. You don't have to have Starbucks, but it's kind of nice. It's like a nice car. It, it, yeah, you don't need it, but it's kind of nice. So when, when, when Habakkuk says he's losing his fruit, I think one of the things that's so tricky about losing the nice things of life and some of the extra stuff is what that extra stuff said to us. And you see this all the time on Facebook. People take picture of their dessert or tequila or whatever and they're like I deserve this I deserve this break I deserve this vacation in this exotic place that none of you people are going I deserve you know it's like I don't know but there's this there if you're not careful and hey I'm I can do it too if you're not careful the very thing which is like this extra nice thing to treat yourself can become sort of tied into your worth your value oh I'm I'm worth quite a bit because I, I have extra income or I have extra this or I have extra that or, the, or I have this spouse who's like extra affectionate or, or I have these kids that are extra well-behaved or whatever it may be. You can, you can, you can be, you've you got to be careful that the, the fruit doesn't get twisted with your value because if you do, then when you have no fruit, if you go down to the next slide, when you have no fruit, 
well, the thing still says the same thing. You deserve this. It's the same statement. It's just now, man, it's your fault. It's negative stuff. The fact that they left you, the fact that so-and-so said that about you, the fact that you don't have anything in the bank account, the fact that, like, it's your fault. This is you. you and, so, and so because we've tied the excess in life with our value, now we believe we're worth nothing. And we lose a sense of value. When, when, when th- th- this is what I mean by disappointment is deceiving because the thing will speak to you, but it won't always speak the truth. Even when you have a lot of it. Which is why I liked what Matthew Henry said. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he said, he said that the one who is, uh, who is when, uh, what did he say, when, when prosperous, oh, there it is, those who when full enjoy God in all, when emptied and poor can enjoy all in God. So it's not, this isn't a sermon against stuff. Stuff is fine. But if you enjoy God in all your stuff, then when you lose your stuff, you will enjoy all your stuff in God. It'll all be connected. And so, but, the, but these are the lies that the thing says. And so that's fruit, that's excess stuff, right? That's kind of the excess. And if we go on, go on down to field, which is more, um, it's more, it's more like your job. It's more like provision. It's more like the basics of life. This is going to get you, this is going to feed your family. Well, what that thing says is you've succeeded. And so you believe I am successful. But whenever it dries up, you've failed. And so you believe I am a failure. Once again, neither one of these statements are necessarily true. Just because your field's going well, just because your job's going well, doesn't mean that you yourself have made it happen. It's not a biblical statement. These things are lying to us. And if we go on down to the the final thing, which is the flock, so this has to do with your future. Because the reason why an ancient shepherd would have sheep is so that he could shear the sheep and he could make, or his wife could make clothes and blankets and they could be ready for the winter. This has to do really with your savings account. This has to do with your sense of security. And this is what happens when you got a flock, man, it tells you, you are prepared, you are ready, and you believe I am safe. But man, as soon as that flock goes away, they all die, suddenly it says you're vulnerable. Now you believe I'm in danger. And is it any wonder you're acting the way you are when you believe you're in danger 24-7? Nobody was meant to be in danger 24-7. It's supposed to be like fight or flight, like one of those two, not hang out. <laughs> like deal with it. That's what danger is supposed to do. It's the adrenaline. But when you live with adrenaline like that every single day, it wears on your body, actually. This will have bad effects on your body. But he says, it says you're vulnerable now. And so I want to I move instead of the thing, and I want to look at what God says, because this is, this is what we need to be focused on. When we have fruit, God says, I'm good. Not I'm good, he's good. The fruit in my life, the $7 coffee or the nice car, is, is evidence of the goodness of God. That God just likes to do good stuff because he's good. And he's just so good, so abundantly good, above and beyond what I could ask or think kind of good. And, and yet it doesn't say anything to my value. It says something to his desires. He desires me. I'm wanted. And so when there's no fruit, God's still good. And I'm still wanted. So you notice God says the same thing, whether it's fruit or no fruit. And the fruit says the same thing, whether it's fruit or no fruit. Anyway, so you go on to the second one, the field. When, whenever our field is doing well, that's because God has a plan for my life. 
Like God knit me together in my mother's womb. He knows what makes me tick. He knows what I'm good at. And he wants me to be fulfilled. He wants me to work in the industry that he wants me to work. He wants to open up doors for me. He has a plan. I'm a part of that plan. And so over here, you say, I have a purpose. And it's going great. But then when your job dies, guess what? God still has a plan. And I still have a purpose. It might not be with that company. It might not even be in that industry. But God still has a plan, and I still have a purpose. Because God has a plan, and I'm submitted to his plan. And if I'm, if I'm preaching in the wilderness, or if I'm just, you know, quoting Deuteronomy to the devil, God has a plan, and I have a purpose. And so when we look at the flock, whenever our flock is going good, like when we have stuff in the bank, when we're prepared, we believe that God is saying, I'm your provider. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And from that, I believe I am provided for. My needs are provided for. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. I shall lack nothing. And then when there's no flock or there's no savings, God still says I'm your provider. And I can still say I believe that I will be provided for. How? God. God is my provider. Yeah, but what about what about the bank? What about the savings account? It wasn't the savings account. The savings account only was was God's way of saying, I'm providing for you. It's just so when I when I looked at the savings account, I didn't listen to see what the savings account said about me. I went to the word of God that said, My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And I said, Hey, look at all that in the bank account. That's really working out. And then when all that in the bank account went away, I still went to the word of God. I didn't ask my empty bank account. I asked the word of God, who is God? He is your provider. He is the one my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I'm not vulnerable. I'm not in danger because my God is going to supply all of my needs. Oh, look, there's nothing in the bank account. That's okay. I guess there's going to be something in the bank account at some point pretty soon because my God shall supply all of my needs. And so it's not merely sort of sort of trying to be positive and thinking. It's really getting into the tower. And it's listening to him. Can I just read one scripture which I shared with somebody this week and I was thinking about it last night from Isaiah 43. I don't think we have it on the screen, but I just want to read it over you. It's from the message paraphrase. This is God speaking to his people. If you are one of his people, it applies to you. He says, don't be afraid. That's a sermon right there. Because I have redeemed you. Notice how God just elevates his work on the cross as the most important thing. It has not, the goalpost has nothing to do with your bank account or with your health or with your family. It has everything to do with the fact, he says, I have redeemed you. I have called your name and you are mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. In fact, I'd sell the whole world to get you back, I would trade the creation for you. <laughs> so Lord, we turn away from our things. We don't want to listen to our things anymore. We receive the word of hope. We receive the word of life. We receive the word of truth today. 
receive you. We put our faith and our trust in you and our belief in you, whatever we're going through. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet, I will win. I will be submitted to him. I will listen to him. And I will let him tell me what I believe.